Welcome, everybody, to the Healing Place Podcast. I'm your host, Terry Welbrock. Excited to have with me today, Dave Kenny. And yeah, we, we tried to meet a couple times, and I was, I was having some issues. And so I am so excited to have you here with me today. So thank you for your patience well, and finally joining me. So yeah. No patience at all. I truly, you know, I truly am joined and happy to be here. Uh, and of course, any, you know, things like that happen to everybody sometimes, you know. Yeah. So, more important when you got something you got to go to for family you go you know that's just that you know, so. I know well I thought your, re- your response was so sweet because it was like life happens and I was like yes yeah. it does <laughs> yeah so but it's a new attitude now that I'm semi-retired I've, I've uh, tried to take out more of you know right that's, you know so having to run here or there you know these obligations so yeah say so well good well thank you again so thanks for having me yeah, I'm happy to have you. You're a retired school psychologist, correct? Uh, yeah, I'm part-time. I teach part-time at Lansing Community College. I teach okay. psychology, yeah. Awesome. Yeah, I was a full-time psychologist for 30 years, part-time teacher, and uh, been all kinds of things. Most of my, I think I'm more defined by my being a, a dad of uh, adoptive children through our child protective uh, services. Uh, that probably defined my life more than being a psychologist did, so... Uh, just a terrific, wonderful thing uh, to have gone through <laughs> in, in the past tense, you know. It, it was some pretty rough along the way at times, and it was pretty wonderful along the way at times as well. So it was one of those very beautiful human, you know, times in our life where just it's, it's there. You're all in. You know, you're yeah. living every day fully. You know, you have great joys and, and great sorrows sometimes, struggles, and, uh, you know, but I learned so much. Learned so much about myself and about people and about how to heal, how we heal you know, from, from that relationship. And you've written two books about it? Yeah, I, well, about uh, generally about healing, uh, healing trauma, early childhood trauma. Uh, you know, because I was dealing with it at school uh, and we didn't always know what we were dealing with because this is, right. a, ACEs is a fairly new movement, uh, child uh, a trauma-informed consent training that's that's fairly new so 30 years ago you know people you had a hard time explaining to people no that he's not just a bad kid you know because there was oh he's just lazy back then or he's just you know that's he's just mean kid or or whatever fill in the blank uh, that they had to kind of be able to write him off uh, back then we were just trying no no you got to try to understand but there was not any any like the research that's coming out today you know right. uh, that shows that it's not just in our head, you know, our, our head is not someplace different than in our body, you know, it's all one, you know, it's not body versus mind, it's both, it's, it's, it's uh, the harmony of the both, you know, and disease is literally that, dis-ease, you're, especially psychologically, when you're at, at dis-ease, then that these disease comes in, the behavior comes in, everything else comes in, so. Right. Well, that's why I love ACEs in the studies, you know, yes. science, like what's coming out about the yeah. impact, you know, for so long. Like I remember my mom telling me, oh, Terry, it was in the past. Just forget about it. And now, you know, now yeah. I, I couldn't just forget about it. You know, it, yeah. was, it, it had an impact on my brain. Um, somebody on the podcast recently said, you know, that it's now being seen. It really is a brain injury because you know, but the cool thing is, is brain plasticity studies in showing how, oh, yeah. you know, we can, we can change, we can change our habits and we can change our, sure. In- and when I was in grad school, it was just like, yeah, that's it. No, you, you, you lose those brain cells, they're gone. Yeah. 
Uh, and it's just so much not true. I mean, we've come, you know, through the years to see how the brain is very uh, changeable. And, you know, when it gets injured, it can heal. There can be healing, you know. Yeah. Uh, um, but it goes together with your mind, your brain and your mind. You can't separate the two. No. So, uh, they're one thing. And I think we were caught up in 30 years ago. We were probably farther ahead on the research for behavioral uh, cognitive psychology where we were starting to see some of the, the things that now they're doing and they're showing in, in the brain research, you know, uh, but it's, it's uh, other things are so brand new and it, it's just, it's marvelous time. So if you're a student of human behavior uh, and understanding, it's a marvelous time to be alive and, to yes. be, you know, so, but anyway, so, you know, get back into the books. The reason why I wrote the books is, uh, um, it's changed over the years. You know, even when I was writing it, the purpose changed. First, uh, the first book I wrote uh, was called Some Way Home. Uh, and it started off to be a story about my son uh, and his life uh, at the, uh, not the request, but at the suggestion of his psychiatrist when he was about six or seven. Uh, when he was seven. Uh, he, he was in second grade. Uh, and, uh, uh, the teacher called me up one day and said, you know, what's, what's going on with Jeremy? Anything going on at home that's, you know, upsetting him because he's just really out of control this week. I said, well, what is it, you know, what is it you're uh, studying? What are you doing in class? And he said, well, I had all the kids bring in baby pictures uh, from the time they were born till the time until now. And then we're going to put them on a line and I'm going to teach them about timelines. And that's academically a very wonderful thing to do. But there was no understanding that he had no past. He came oh. to us five years old. We were his fifth quote-unquote family. Uh, he was on antipsychotic medication on Melaril when he first came to us. Uh, he was so out of control. He had been so abused. Oh. Yeah, it was terrible. It was terrible to watch. But anyway, you know, uh, through work with the psychiatry, you know, I was – Explained to the teacher, well, he didn't have any of that stuff. There's no, and that's probably what the avoidance was. I went and told the psychiatrist, and she suggested I start a journal for him uh, about his life with us. And that way he would have that when he grew up. Uh, and I thought that was a really good idea. So I started doing that, just writing a, a story about what happened and how he came to us. Uh, and then I realized it wasn't good enough. He needed something right then. He needed a life story. We all have these myths. That's why I call it some way in, uh, in a myth, you know, a memoir in a myth, is we all have these personal myths that help us understand who we are, why we fit into the world, and what our life struggles are, why we're, why we're struggling with some things that other people aren't. And we all have these personal stories, but he didn't have any of that. So I decided to write a whole, both a memoir and a myth. And I continued the journal, and that became the second half of the book. And the first half is I put together uh, from from files and records and history and what he told us when he first came to us to create a, a, a sort of recreate a story of his younger life from zero to five. Uh, and uh, then I realized this is a great format for just talking about healing, you know, both in, you know, from the point of view of uh, the, the professionals and the point of view of the parents and the family. And uh, uh, it all came together. I just, it kept, kept growing, I guess, until... Uh, I, I finally got it where I like it. I mean, it's a beautiful story. I think hopefully it was meant to be both literature and also like a case study in, in, in trauma and, and what happens and what can you do about it. Uh, and uh, then the second book we wrote, I wrote was, like, was a, 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 a nonfiction discussion about 
trauma, about early childhood trauma, what normal healing is like, because I don't think we talk enough about what normal is. We always, right. psychology, we talk a lot more about disease than what it is that we want. We don't spend a lot of time on health. So I talk about health, talk about then how, how healthy development can be affected by the trauma. Uh, and then thirdly, about what do we do? How can we help these children heal? Because I definitely believe they can heal. Right. Uh, so many people think that after five, the personality is set. You got these problems. You're always going to have these problems. It's just not true. No. That'll yeah. build your brain. What's the What's the title of the second book? Uh, Crossing Infinity, uh, uh, or um, Healing Our Children Ourselves. Uh, because I I think that in this day and age we've given too much over to the experts uh, to try to say that they're going to we're going to take our child to them and they're going to heal our child. You know. Right to a special ed teacher, we're going to take them to a psychiatrist or a social worker or whoever, and they were going to tell us what to do to heal our children. And the thing is that nobody heals, uh, nobody's healed by anybody else. No, we do it ourselves. We got to do it ourselves. Right. Because what's the healing? The hurt is in the belief. The hurt is in the emotion, in, in, in the emotional world of the person. You know, that's where the hurt is to heal it. Only they can heal it by changing those beliefs. And we can, we can uh, uh, instruct them, you know, we can help them, encourage them. We can most importantly love them and set the environment up for them to succeed, you know. Uh, but uh, in the end, we all have to heal ourselves, you know. So. Yeah. And how beautiful. I mean, you obviously know what's been going on with my mom and listeners have, you know, with my mom's addiction and, and her struggles. And what you just said was so beautiful because, well, one, what popped into my head is it's never too late to do the healing work, you know, right. it's with children or whether it's an 83 year old, you know, alcoholic. Um, but yeah, to um, just love, offer that love. I mean, that's all I can do is offer her love. That's uh, it. But she, yeah. she has to do the healing work, and, and we can offer a hand and hold and guidance. Um, yeah, but that's, that's beautiful. There's a great book called The Course in Miracles that uh, says, Yeah, Marianne Williamson? Well, no, that's, she, 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 she talks about it a lot. Yeah, yeah, she teaches a lot about it. But it was actually written by two psychologists in Columbia University back in like 19, early 1970s. Okay. Uh, and it started actually with a, they were trying to work on a problem they had with each other. And then this book came out of it called, uh, the, the, uh, Course in Miracles. But one thing that said over there, over there I just love to hear is that people are either, uh, uh, calling out for love. They're either seeking love or they're giving love. You know, that's, uh, that's the only two things that we can do. We're either giving it or we're seeking it. And in either case, the correct response to that is to love right you know if someone loves you it's correct to love them back if somebody is seeking love it's only it's only correct to give them love you know so in either response our job is pretty simple you know it's yeah. just how to love as much as possible you know right so beautiful I, I, I sort of talk about three different kinds of things that I think you need as a mindset to help children who have been hurt and who have been uh, uh, you know, have had that e severe ego injury, that, that attack, uh, whether it be from, you know, uh, uh, human trafficking or from abuse or from neglect or from whatever cause, you know, that ego injury is, is so tough uh, in three ways. Um, I guess overall, I want to say uh, to try to heal a child, um, let me back up a half a step, 
is to say that um, it's kind of like plate spinning. You ever remember those old <laughs> spinners? Yes. On television, they start one plate, they get it going real fast, and they move on to the next one and get it going. All right. Go back to the first and get it. <laughs> it's kind of like that, you know. When you're raising a child who's been hurt or you're teaching a child who's been, you have to approach it in very many levels at once. You have to approach it, first of all, on the safety level. It's like Maslow's hierarchy. You got to get the safety level first. And then the needs, the, 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 for food and water and then for, you know, being safe and then for, and, you know, before you get up to love and esteem where some of the injury is, you have to have all these things in order. So you, you deal with the behavior, you deal with behavior and lack because you can't have unsafe, uncontrolled behavior. But at the same time, once you get going, you have to deal with where the hurt really is. Right. It's in the mind. Okay. And, and it's the sense of uh, one of the worst things that, that happens is these kids always feel guilty. They always feel ashamed and hurt. And it's always, it's a terrible thing because no matter what happens, they, they expect that they did something wrong. At the same time, they fight against it so strongly uh, because it's a core issue. It's not just, oh, I did something wrong. It's I, I am wrong. It's, I am wrong, right. I am bad. I am broken. Look, I'm evil, you know? And that's what, you can't live with that, you know? So uh, they, 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 they have that all the time. You've got to be able to overcome that. And I, I'm talking about three ways, I think three mindsets that you have to have in working with them. And one of them is you were just talking about love, and I called it uh, sort of, uh, sort of uh, uh, ego-light love, okay? Because we never really can get totally past our own ego, right? no matter how much you try. The whole story of Buddha is about a guy who went out and tried all these different ways to get rid of the ego, never could, finally gave up trying, and then he was enlightened, you know? Uh, and and it's, like, it's like that. It's not a... You can't love, you know, a romantic love is a completely, totally ego love. I love you because you're special and you love me because I'm special, you know, and the more you love me, the more special I feel, you know, uh, that's not the kind of love I'm talking about. I'm talking about sort of an ego-less love, but since we can't ever get to ego-less, I just say, well, let's try to get ego-light. Let's, 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 not, yeah, right. let's not let perfection ruin the good, right? So, Great way to put it, yes. Yeah, yeah. so we got to go, we got to love these kids, and it's got to be non-specific. It can't be a love like you're so special, I'm so special. It's got to be this is a love because we love each other, we treat each other with respect. You know, because we love each other, we're going to protect and take care of each other. And everybody has, you're equally equal and have equal rights, you know, those type of things. Another one I talked about was uh, another one I sort of tried to frame because I couldn't find uh, 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 the right words, you know, in the existing vocabulary to, to frame some of these ideas, you know. Uh, one, the other one was uh, um, um, to have a radical commitment to a gentle truth. Okay, and that some of the people, there's a lot of, I think, misunderstanding about truth. Some people use truth as a weapon, you know, and they say the meanest things that they, you can imagine, and they say, well, I'm only telling the truth. Right. Right, and that's, that's, that's sort of a, that's a radical truth, you know, they're being, trying to be radically truthful, and I'm not saying that, I'm saying the, the, the truth is a gentle truth. The truth is one that we, that helps us grow. It helps us confront things about ourselves we don't we don't like. You know, it helps us uh, uh, you know forgive ourselves. You know, all those things are really super important. Uh, but but uh, uh, so there's a radical commitment. No matter what happens, I'm going to love this child, but with a gentle truth. 
not with a, you know, I'm going to correct them all the time or I'm going to force them to being good or for, you know, I'm not going to be radical about it. Right. Gonna, but, but my commitment is radical. If you can understand, because trust is such a big issue with people who have been violated that more, when you're raising a child or teaching a child that has had uh, some type of trauma, true tr- in early childhood trust is so important. You've got to learn uh, to do what you say and say what you do. Uh, and it's got to be, so there's that, it's got to be, you know, you can remember the old days uh, back, I know you're probably too young, but for like the Honeymooners and Jackie Gleason was an old television show. Uh, and uh, 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 oh, the, there was such a funny thing. Everybody would say, we would laugh hysterically when you go to the moon. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to the moon, to Alice. To the moon, Alice. To the moon. Everybody would laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Well, it's not so funny when you look down today when we look at all the, the spousal abuse and all the right. homes. It's, it's not funny, you know. Uh, so we have to come up with uh, saying only the things that we mean. We can't say, oh, I, I, I'll kill you someday because people say, or I'm going to kill myself. People throw that out a lot, okay? We can't say things that we don't mean. You know, right. so, you know it, trust is so important. But it's got to be gentle at the same time. First of all, because they're children. Second of all, because they've been hurt, you know. And the sense of shame uh, is so prevalent, prevailing. It, it hurts so much that they got to do one of two things. They either got to say, okay, if I'm bad, I'm going to be really good at being bad. I'm going to be, you want to see what bad is. You ain't seen nothing yet because you haven't seen the kid. Now the kid, he's going, to, he's going to show you what bad is, you know. That's the one way to go, to accept it, make it part of your personality, which doesn't do much except for it sort of gets them wound up in a continual uh, loop of hate and anger and frustration, you know, uh, because they really don't believe that they're bad, but they do. You see, right, you know? yeah. Or it's like they believe it, but they can't. You know, it's like it's so unhorrible. We really can't believe that about ourselves, but we do. So it's, it provide you know it presents them with an unsolvable problem. You know, the other kids that that have that same might have the same feeling of uh, I'm broken and I I'm I'm uh, I'm no good. I'm evil. Uh, they deal with it. And say no, that's not true. The other thing you can do is you know not accept it. You can deny it. You know, so they deny it. And a lot of little girls, you see a lot of little girls doing this. The boys do this too, but more. It's more of, more of a little girl thing where they really just try to be perfect. You know, <laughs> doing out there, they're getting every green light award, every, every good classmanship award. They're the teacher's pet. Every time you go to a conference with the teachers, they're wonderful. Oh, you wish I had 50 like her, you know. Uh, and they just try so hard to be perfect because it's not them. They're not broke. It's the world. Uh, and, and what's sort of insidious about that is that it's, they're so good at that that everybody kind of just says, oh, that's wonderful. That's, oh, look how sweet she is. Look how hard she's trying. But she's trying because there's underneath this thing that hurts so much. Yes. I worked, um, I worked for a mental health agency in schools and um, – My undergrad is in psychology. And Mm -hmm. I remember teachers saying to me, you know, about, you know, needing help in the classroom with kids that they knew, you know, were having some issues. Um, And then we would start to talk about, you know, are they coming in hungry? You know, other things that were going on with these kids beyond just misbehavior in the classroom. And 
But then I remember talking to them and saying, you know, what you really need to think about is those really quiet ones or Mm -hmm. the ones who are, you know, always doing everything exactly as they're told because they could be just as traumatized and experiencing just as much stuff um, in their home environment. Because just, just because some kids are presenting it and it's just like there, like the signs like, ah, yeah. Um, Yeah. And those kids get, I mean, with my, my son and my daughter was kind of, that was sort of the situation. And, you know, he got all the help he needed right away. You know, we all jumped on it because he was destroying things and he was doing some crazy, you know, just some really out of crazy. We'll read the book. You know, it's just tons of stuff he was doing. But uh, she was like little perfect. So it's like with little time, it's like, oh, that's so good. You know, we used to say uh, my son was our, our uh, treasure and our daughter was our gift from God. You know, for him, we had to do a lot of digging to get to the good stuff, you know. Uh, with her, it was just like everything was seemed so easy. And we were taken in by that. And because we're so overwhelmed in some other ways, we just never questioned it. And I see back then when she got to seven, eight, nine, oh, you know, the, 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 the pure stuff. And, uh, you know, oh, we get in trouble now. She can't take any blame. So she's always blaming other people. And. All these things, you know, the line was just tremendous. All these things started coming up and it just gets worse and worse and worse. And the trouble is you lost five years. Right. And then everything was okay. And it's so much easier to help change it back then than it is when they're 13 and 14, you know. Uh, it's not impossible, but it's just like, oh. So here <laughs> I wrote that in the book for people to wear, to watch out for for those kids who, in, ele- in kindergarten, first grade, second grade, just trying so hard to be so, so perfect. Yeah. Not healthy. It's really not healthy. That was me. I was that perfect little girl. Are you? <laughs> yeah. I was a little in troublemaker. <laughs> uh, I got sent home in sixth grade for the entire school year for lunch and recess after lunch. Oh. Because <laughs> I, I, I did, I, I started up, this is back, you know, in the 60s, late 60s, right? So I decided that we we're going to have a, a sit down on, on the recess after lunch. And we wouldn't come in. So I organized people. To- <laughs> it only lasted a very short time. And my consequences lasted all year. So. Oh, my gosh. That's awesome. <laughs> it actually it worked out okay for me because I was happy actually got out of school. I was not a you – know, elementary school was not my place. I was not. Yeah, not your gig. <laughs> Yeah, I did not. I was so I was happy to get out every day for like, yeah. an hour, you know, get out, get home, walk through the, the neighborhood, have I little games with myself on the way, you know, and stuff. Right, right. So you give um, presentations and you, yes. you speak and uh, uh-huh. yeah, so talk about that a little bit. Well, I'm, you know, I'm trying to, uh, like I said, just get the word out. It's, it's, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm at this point in my life, you know, I'm, like I said, I'm, Professionally, my job is kind of going down to very little. I'm teaching a few classes, enjoying it. Uh, and my kids are all grown up. Jeremy is 30 now and so happy and successful. You know, yeah. it's, it's always at that time of life. It's like, okay, and I'm thinking about things. I think, wow, you know what? I did learn a lot on the way. I wasn't very smart to begin with, but I did learn some things on the way. And, and I, you know, I hate for them to just stop now. Because I think about uh, being a young uh, psychologist and being a young parent being, and not knowing what was going on with Jeremy. We were not told what was going on by the agency. 
so we, you know, we were over our heads. So I wished I knew so much, you know, what I know now kind of right. thing. So I'm just trying to get it out in any way possible. You know, we're, we're talking, I've always, I've always liked uh, speaking. I've always done like uh, professional staff development days or going to places and giving talks, uh, PTAs and to uh, Chad and to a couple at a university and, you know, just different places just to give talks uh, uh, and to meet with people. I love talking to groups of people uh, and getting people laughing and getting people to think differently about things. And so I'm offering that as one format that I can, I can go out and try to spread the word that these kids can be healed and this is how they, that goes on. And by the way, if you have stuff that you're holding on to from childhood, you can still heal yourself. Mm-hmm. It's not over. So right. uh, just trying to get out there and teach whatever people need when, you know, with that group. I don't know. Each group is different. And each group has a different need to hear a different thing on a certain day, you know. So trying to... Um, match the need with what I have to say for the day, you know? Right. Like that, uh, the PowerPoint I sent you, I just simply took the second book that I wrote, the, the one that's a, a nonfiction discussion about uh, trauma. And, yeah. and I just did a PowerPoint for the entire book. So that's the, because as a teacher now, that's what I do. I do PowerPoints and then I present my lecture, but they're really my notes. Because at my age, I'm starting to forget, like, what am <laughs> I talking about, you know? I got you. <laughs> go off on tangents and I go there and I forget the details. And so I flip this, I look up, Oh, okay. That's what I'm talking about. Right. And, and it can help me, you know, so it helps the audience. Hopefully and it helps me through my notes. So I just prepare it ahead of time. And then whatever part that uh, a group needs to hear, I'll try to give it to them and try to give them what I know and what I've, I've learned and share with them. So, and then you, you blog, you have a blog as well. Yeah, we do. And uh, just working on that this morning, we're putting together, uh, I used to call them picto poems, but my wife doesn't like that. So I came up with another more poetic saying, but I write poetry as a hobby. So I've been putting together as sort of a hobby, these uh, uh, poems on pictures. There's some websites that give you free free pictures yeah. uh, and some art pictures, some really gorgeous pictures. And I'll find something that matches a poem and I'll put them both together and sort of have create like a poster type of thing. So oh, beautiful. Uh, yeah, that's mostly the blog is, uh, is that right now, just to try to, you know, have people be attracted to the website, you know, so I have things on the website. Uh, one thing is uh, uh, a story about heroes. Um, since I was a English lit major, um, there's, there's part of that, you know, in, in what I do, what I talk about as well. So, um, I, you know, I understood that literature, especially the heroic literature of the past, was always sort of these this teaching stories. There were stories that taught people how the hero is and how the hero becomes. And one of the things you find out that's uh, um, that's true around the world in all the different uh, hero literature, hero liter heroic literature, is um, this. Uh, notion that the hero is never the hero at first. Uh, yeah. like Hamlet, he's always sort of uh, questioning and frozen, not doesn't know what to do, overwhelmed with the ideas of, you know, in, in able to, unable to act, you know, unable to, to do what, what a, a hero does until they go in, they have to go into hell. Right. Okay. Yeah. 
uh, Hamlet jumps into the grave and he sees, you know, uh, his, the head of his old uh, gesture when he was a little kid. You know, Odysseus goes under the, into the underworld. I mean, uh, 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 yeah, Odysseus goes in and he sees uh, Achilles and he talks to Achilles and he helps somebody out. Uh, Beowulf swims to the bottom of the lake to meet the, the mother uh, of the monster. So there's the grand monster is in the lake. I mean, it was so Freudian, you know, uh, 200 years before Freud, right? All right. It's always a sort of descent into hell. St. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul. You know, and when the hero comes out of that, learns to come out of that hell, get to the other side of it, that's when they become the hero. And only then do they become the hero. Right. Uh, and what I think is so important about that is there's so many kids that I worked with in high school. There are so many kids that are anxious and depressed these days. It's, it's a, uh, I, I, I think it's, it's a, uh, 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 oh gosh, I'm losing my words. Oh yeah. Uh, 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 epidemic. I, I see it everywhere. Then over the 30 years, it's just multiplied and multiplied. Okay. Well, they're being taught that, you know, depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain, uh, which yes, there is a correlation between the chemicals and, and the behavior, but that doesn't prove causality. First of all. And if, if that's what, you tell them what they believe is that they're broken. Right. And if they're broken, they can't do anything about it. So it relieves in one way, uh, psychiatrists have sort of pitched this, you know, it's not your fault, it's a disease thing. So people would come get treatment because people were not getting treatment because of the negative impact of, of being labeled as mentally ill or some such thing. Right. Which is why I love ACEs so much because yeah. it's stating that, Yes, you know, you can have these things as a result. Every, anything from physical things like heart disease and diabetes to, you know, depression, anxiety, symptoms of PTSD. But, again, it all comes back to, um, you know, the brain. You experience these traumatic events. Now you can do the healing work. That's right. To, to change those things and to build right. resilience. Resilience is huge. Right. And teaching kids about resilience, I mean, that's truly, I believe, the answer. Um, or even emotions. I mean, we don't yeah. teach kids about emotions. I mean, and we know that the best single predictor of life success is emotional intelligence. It's, it's the best single predictor of school success is verbal intelligence. But the best single predictor of life success is emotional, being able to understand your feelings. To be able to react to them, to, to not control them, but to be able to get the message, you know, to understand them and then to react accordingly, you know, to let them go. So you can have another feeling in the next moment, you know, all these things that, that are so important. Understanding other people, you know, when they're depressed, how do you encourage them? You know, when they're angry, how do you calm them? You know, when they're afraid, how do you comfort them? That's all emotional intelligence. And if we would teach that, that would be amazing. But you talk to seniors in high school and ask them, why do we have emotions? And they have no idea. They don't understand how they operate or they don't understand what they're for at all. Just a nuisance, really, that either make me feel bad or, you know, I can try to feel good, you know. But that's, that's the depth of understanding, which is such a shame. It is a shame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah because that's, I mean, we know we can teach that stuff. You know, and we teach it a lot of the time through stories, which is why I love stories. I teach kids through stories. And part of what, again, my healing story was meant to be healing literature, you know? Yeah. I love stories, you know? Yeah. 
songs, well, poetry. Sorry. That's all right. That's all right. My son, my son writes poetry and I love his poetry. And so, yeah, mm. I just think that's an amazing way to express. Um, yeah. Yeah. I should go on my website and check out the posters. On, yeah, uh, I will. I'll stick one on this video. So, oh, okay. So. Oh, yeah. They're cool. I like them. Yeah. Uh, and cool. uh, we're thinking about even maybe selling them or something, but we're yeah. on them right now up there, you know. Awesome. That's I, um, idea poems. One of the things when you were talking I, on my website, I think when you scroll to the bottom of the first page, like my intro, my homepage, it's got a little kid in a superhero cape, you know, with their arm up in the air, like they're getting ready to take off, you know, flight and flight. And it yes. says, learn to be your own hero. And so yes. that's, that's kind of, you know, what I picked up from what you were saying is, you know, we all yes. learn to be our own heroes because we're the ones again, who have to do the healing work. We have, yeah. I tell people all the time when I give presentations, you know, in, in my blog, you have to go through the darkness to get to the light. Yeah. I mean, for that, for that healing journey, you've got to go back into it. You can't go around it. You can't go under it. You can't no. pretend like it's not there. Um, right. You've got to go back and, and work on it. So, yeah. 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 I'm sorry. I'm so glad that you brought that up because I forgot to tag that, that whole story I was telling you about. That is the point of what I was trying to say. Yeah. <laughs> that, that you, yeah, I get to the point where it's like, uh, isn't it, it's so much better for the high school student to think that they're a hero in training than to think yeah. a broken machine, because you can't do anything with a broken machine. But if you are a hero in training, you're learning. And as you're learning and progressing, that's what's good. And if that's good, then you can't be broken. You can't be, uh, you know, with that thought and belief that you're broken, let's get rid of it now. Let's put something else in there that's healthy. Right. And do that and once they can forgive themselves or forgive other people then they can be the hero to other people because they have more now than those people who never went through about a depression yet right oh some things and feel some things that nobody else has experienced and they learned how to control them and they learned how to get through them and to heal them and now they can do that for other people now they are the hero you know so, yeah yeah, yeah so. I call that, um, I, I've labeled that the gifts within the chaos and that uh -huh. learning to, you know, when you do make it through, that you do get these gifts, these gifts of understanding and gifts of compassion and gifts of, um, you know, again, empowerment of, I did it, I yes. made it through, I, yes. I've learned these things and then to be able to turn back around and offer them to others um, and help them through their chaos. And to even accept them when you first see them, because so many of us will see somebody suffering and just like immediately turn away because it's, it's too uncomfortable or it's too scary, you know? Right. Well, you've been through that and you know how that felt to be in that. Then it's the compassion that you said comes out and then you can reach out and do the rest of it. But that's the first thing is just that compassion. Right. Don't judge the person. Oh, look at you. You're so messy or you're dirty or you're, you're lazy or you're whatever, you know, you get past all that stuff and just see that's oh, And that's the other thing is uh, I, I talk about in the back of color, uh, uh, practicing extra forgiveness. Uh, but I think now I like to call it more. Think about it as searching for the innocence in everybody. Yeah. So when you look for the innocence and you see the, all this other stuff, you go, no, no, that's not it. You know, that's all the nonsense or the, all the, the illness or the dysfunction or the ugliness or whatever it is. No, there's an innocence in every one of us. And if you search for that, 
that helps them find it, you know, that help when you can find it and then you show it to them and, and that changes their lives, you know, that helps change their lives. So, yeah, that's beautiful. Do it. Yeah. Yeah. We so, could all just connect on that level. Yeah. 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 Looking for the innocence in each of us. That's another a great lesson from uh, the uh, Course in Miracles. Yeah. Uh, if you're ever interested in reading that book, because uh, it's an interesting book, uh, the first time I tried to read it, it made no sense. And it sounded sound like crazy nonsense, you know, like somebody was taking too much acid back in 1960. <laughs> but if you look at it, I found out later, I started about the 13th chapter. And you start reading the 13th chapter, it makes it made so much sense to me. And then I read it around and read it to the end and then it started to get, to me and get this first thing. Now, now I understood the first 13 chapters. But if you start at chapter one, it doesn't make any sense. So just a, a thing. All right. All right. Good, good to know. Yeah. <laughs> so but, I have yeah. to ask you one of my favorite questions. Um, okay. Only because I love the answer so much. So if you could meet anyone, dead mm. or alive, to help you with your continued journey, who would it be? Oh, my. Oh, my. Wow. There's so many. There's so many that had gone on before. Uh, obviously, Jesus is my first number one inspiration, and I try to follow his teaching. I, I studied the scriptures and everything to try to find out what he actually taught, uh, and it's not all the stuff that's there. you got to find it. It's like that pearl yeah. in the field that you got to find, you know? My dad was a, a Jesuit brother. Catholic. Oh. He was a Jesuit okay. brother for eight years. Um, in yeah, I grew up. I'm sorry, my dad taught at a Jesuit university. Oh, so did he? Okay. I kind of grew up in a Jesuit university, sort of. Yeah, so I, I, my dad was a theologian, I mean, in my eyes, oh, wow. because, you know, he studied scripture, and he studied it for eight years um, yes. in the seminary, and so we would have these deep philosophical conversations. One of the things I missed most about him, I mean, my dad had his issues, but he was just, I loved our powerful he gave great hugs, and I loved my I loved my deep theologian talks with my dad. Uh, yeah, yeah, I used to have those two with my dad, and I miss them now. Yeah, I would yeah. that here. I, I could get together for him, him and Jesus, Buddha. Uh, let's see, Saint Francis, uh, Martin Luther King Jr. Um, just so many that taught about healing and about love, you know. Yeah. Uh, and. Uh, I love the Zen stories, but I can't say one person, you know, like, uh, you know, you, you heard of Zen Coens uh, before. They're the Japanese uh, version of Buddhism, and they have these little teeny sayings. They're like little stories. Um, you, uh, you heard uh, the sound of one hand clapping, you know, thrown around a lot. That comes from an old oh, yeah. piece uh, story, yeah. Um, there was a, a, a master sitting on a hillside. And he was uh, facing the full moon. Okay, he was facing east, and the full moon was rising. And he was watching it, and he was sort of meditating and, and being sort of peaceful and with one. And a student comes running up to him and says, Master, 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 please, please help me out. I'm so confused now. And the master says, well, what is it? What, what's bothering you? He said, well, could you please show me the moon? I don't know what the moon is. And I was in the, the marketplace today and everyone was talking about the moon, the full moon this, the full moon that. And I just didn't know what it was. Please show me the moon. Well, the master was a few, few words. He simply raised his finger and he pointed to the moon. 
which was, by the way, behind the student because the student was facing his master. And he saw, he pointed to the moon and the student looked up and all he saw was the master's finger pointed, you know, in the, sun, in the moonlight. And from that moment on, he believed that the truth or the moon was his master's finger from there on. Love that story. It is yeah, so, all about perspective. Yeah. But it's also about we oftentimes, you know, we oftentimes uh, confuse the finger that points to the truth, the truth itself. You know, we, our back is to there. All he had, the student had to do was turn around, and he would see the moon. But instead, he was so focused on his master being a source of truth that he thought it was the finger that pointed. Pointed to it, right. And the, uh, the Zen love that they, they that whole sense of you have to get rid of or eradicate the stench of Zen uh, uh, in order to find enlightenment, in order to find that which it's pointing to. All the great teachers, they were pointing to the truth. They were not the truth. And their followers get so confused, they make them the truth. And so many bad things follow from that. You know? Right. And, from, and it happened to every great teacher, you know. Socrates is another one I'd love to sit and, sit and talk with. Yeah. So that's a great lead-in because my next question is, if there's any truths or facts that you want to clarify for listeners. Oh, God, there's, there's, there's so many. One is that these children are, are now, uh, where people have been so abused, they can't change. It's a personal, a personal thing. One thing I have, the, uh, the father, uh, near the end of this first book, Somewhere Home, I have the father meeting with the, the case manager from the case manager from zero to five, and then this adoptive father, and they confront each other in the end and have this discussion. Uh, and he's, ta he's talking about healing, and uh, the, the manager says, "Can you ever really heal a children? Do they ever really heal?" And he says, "Well, yes, they heal. And my son has been healed. I know that, but there's still scars. You don't heal scars; right. they fade away." And the less you pay attention to them, the more they fade away because they're just scars, you know. Um, but the healing has already taken place, you know. The healing is, 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 is there, and yet there may be things that we still have to work on, I guess is what friend said, you know. So um, the truth, the truth is that uh, um, these kids oftentimes uh, uh, are seen as aggressive and angry and uh, well, they are angry. I shouldn't say that. They seem violent. You know, they seem, seem uh, uh, like bad kids and, and they're just not, they're not what they're more like what I call yes means no kids because the opposite, uh, they tend to have the opposite to reaction to normal things. You know, like in school, normally we just correct. We make corrections on kids' papers in order that they learn from it. Right. Okay. But those corrections, those red lines on a kid who's going through this kind of a thing, you know, it's really traumatized. They don't you oftentimes see them as a positive thing. They really can't stand to have that judgment placed on them. So a lot of times they just avoid turning things in or not getting work on just because they can't stand the thing that we're trying to do to help them, you know. And it goes back to that shame thing. Um, with, for instance, when my son, when he first came to us, if we were saying, uh, hey, what'd you drop that piece of paper for? Pick that up and throw it away, please. Boom, you could start a three hour explosive, violent, reactive things people might call uh, 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 
oh, what's it called? Uh, uh, when a spoiled child throws a temper tantrum. It's not a temper tantrum, but oftentimes it gets labeled that. So that's one of those ideas I'd love to get rid of. Uh, and uh, they would go on for hours. And simply that if you could rephrase that, that question to say, if I learned to teach myself to say, hey, do me a favor and pick that piece of paper up, throw it away, no problem. But if I said like, hey, what'd you do that for? Why did you throw, you know, when I made him the guilty pointing, when you focus to them and their behavior as wrong, it is such a hair trigger, they immediately go into, into survival, into fight flight reaction that talked about in, uh, in uh, ACEs. Uh, and you, you got to kind of learn that understanding the perception from their point of view, you say things differently just to see that so they don't have these short-circuited times that they don't, you know, and oftentimes with those uh, explosive behaviors, they don't remember the next day what happened. It's almost like an a electrical seizure almost that overcomes them, you know? Uh, and, yeah, when they're in that survival mode. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And they don't remember necessarily everything they said or they did the time before. Um, it's just all sort of a vague feeling of I did something wrong again, you know? Right. But anyways, there's there's so many things I'd like to to people to understand. The lazy, let's get rid of the word lazy. Uh, I just can't stand that word because it doesn't. It, it, there's so many things that are answers, but not solutions. Right. So he's lazy. Okay. So he's got a personality that doesn't want to do anything. What can you do with that? Nothing really. It's it's a solution, but not an answer to the problem. Like ADHD oftentimes is a solution these days, but not an answer. And then, see, and I go to lazy. Is it because he is, is, a, is a person afraid to fail, afraid yeah. to succeed? Yeah. Afraid yeah. What, what's the underlying factor here? That's it. That's, and then see, when you get to that level, then there's something you can do about it. Right, exactly. You know, there's something you can, even in extreme cases where kids, you know, get so upset, you can just say, I'm not going to grade your stuff. You know, you can put it in your grade book, whatever you want to put in, but I'm not going to put anything on your papers at all. You know, maybe a couple of pleasant comments. That's it. You know, uh, you just do what is necessary for that child to learn. You know, you got to get rid of the obstacles. That's one thing we're, I think we can be really good at is helping a child by getting rid of the obstacles. We can't crawl in their head and make the right connections for them. We can't crawl in their heads and tell them how to think about things, you know? Right. But we, we can do a couple of things. We can set the environment up. Uh, that means also the emotional environment and our relationship. We set it up in a way that uh, they feel safe uh, and they don't feel like they're going to be judged or attacked. Because judgment and attack is the same thing to them. Right. They don't, it feels the same way. You may say, well, you know, it's I before E and you put E before I. And they feel like you're attacking their 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 existence, really, almost. It's all that that ex existential for them, you know. Yeah. Um, you just kind of understand from their point of view what works, and you know that's our job as the teacher, or that's our job as the parent, really. That that we can do. And the I think, bottom, yeah, the bottom line through all of it, what I'm hearing is just compassion. Oh, it's the number one. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think with with healing, uh, try, try to be a help. You have to be, uh, uh, you have to love, but not, again, a special love, uh, a real sort of uh, what the Greeks used to call um, agape love, you know, more spiritual love. Uh, that, you know, I call it ego light love because right. it seems so kind of strange and 
you know, far out there, you know, but you align. I think you get a sense that, you know. I think it's a, and I've referred to it as just, you know, like soul to soul or light to light, you know, that yeah. we're, all these, we're all these beings of light. Um, yes. We can just connect to one another's light um, because the darkness is the stuff of the ego, like you talked about. Yeah. yeah. Um, where the light is the stuff of the soul. Um, and yeah, if we can just learn to connect that way. Well, then that's it. I mean, that's what they call the, in the, the Gross Miracles, they call the Holy Incident. And it, it uh, took me 10 years. So my first 10 years as a psychologist, I thought my job was to solve everybody's problems. Uh, and it is just so far from the truth. Uh, you're just causing trouble when, you, when you're trying to help somebody else. If you're telling them how to solve it, you're just making it worse, you know. Uh, it's that connection, like you said, that connection of me to you in, in, in that sort of sense of innocence and love. You know, that there's a pure sense of being to being, you know, like you said, light to light, you know. Yeah. That's it. I mean, that is the healing moment. That is, that is what heals people. You don't have to say, okay, well, it's because this happened or because you feel this or, you know, do this next time. Yeah, I was going to say, give them the to-do list, right? Yeah, yeah. The, the, those can come later or those can be suggestions or whatever. But at the, the point of the real healing is that person-to-person contact. Yeah. I know for myself, I did um, – my life-altering moment was EMDR therapy. Um, oh, yes. You know, with my trauma, history, my trauma history, it's crazy loaded. Yeah. Um, and so I did EMDR for four years, 98 sessions. And, but, but it wasn't so much things that, you know, my therapist told me as we worked through the trauma. Or, or, but there were just two, there's two things that stuck out to me so much. And one was be gentle with yourself. Mm-hmm. And so when I, that was such a foreign concept to me. So learning mm-hmm. to be gentle with myself. But again, that was me doing the work. That was me learning to be my own hero, be my own, you know, uh-huh. friend, be kind to myself. And then the other was um, out of my brain. It, it's gone. <laughs> uh, <laughs> oh, so well. <laughs> <laughs> my menopause brain is what I call it. Um, yeah, so be gentle with myself, and I so can't remember the other one, so maybe I'll remember that. <laughs> well, let me, talk, let me take up on the one. Like, it's so important. You know, that is that, that uh, I remember when I was about 21 or 22, it occurred to me one day, I was walking home, and I was thinking about different things, uh, and it came to me, Jesus said, you know, to love others as you love yourself. And it was the first time I had been raised Catholic, I'd heard that same million times, you know, by the time I was 22, right? Right. Sunk in that he was saying that you love people as yourself, not instead of yourself. I'd spent the entire 22 years trying to love other people instead of myself because I didn't think too much about myself at all. Right. I, I was pretty, pretty down on myself, but I still tried very, very hard to love everyone. But that's, that's, that gets into then ego, you know? If I'm going to try to love someone better than myself, then I'm, I'm really trying. And love doesn't have anything to do with trying. You know, putting out a trying to convince you that I'm a nice guy, trying to convince you that I know what to tell, what I can tell you to do that will heal you, or trying to do all those things. It's only building up my ego. It's doing nothing for you as another person. If I care about you and you're the one hurting, 
it, it's like almost insulting to be talking about, well, you know, I'm a great psychologist, and if you only do this, B, and C, and do that, that's the way I say it. It's almost an insult, you know? Yeah. Hides the fact that that's not how, I mean, any technique that we talk about can be a really cool tool, but it also can be used terribly wrong. Right. Because it's not what we do in the end, it's, it's what we do while we're doing it that makes the difference in our relationships, you know? Yeah, I agree. And I, I love how you said that, you know, the, it, how, the tools can be offered, but it's, it's how they're used. I know, you know, one of the big things with me when I first started dealing with my trauma history was, you know, breathe, breathe, breathe. I was so uncomfortable being in my own body. I didn't want to bring attention to my breath because I was terrified to, to bring focus to myself. Yeah. My panic attacks were so intense. And yeah. so focusing on breathing techniques made me more panicky, more anxious. Yeah. But when I learned to be comfortable in my own body through other methods, then I was able to start utilizing breath work. Yeah, absolutely. I, I remember that I had terrible panic attacks from, uh, I think, just about 19 years old to about 22, 20. I didn't know what they were. You know, I thought I was crazy. My mother was mentally ill, so there was a whole stuff going on, you know. I moved out of the house when I was 15. Uh, just because our house burned down and she she lost it really to, for like years after that, you know. Uh, and all of us were—I was one of seven kids. We all six of us moved out within a year and a half. Wow. Incidents, yeah. Uh, and uh, so when I was nineteen, I was starting to try to figure out. You got to kind of try to figure out what crazy was yours and what crazy was hers. <laughs> and as there's so much as a child, you just take in, uh, you know, on on unthoughtfully or, un, you know, you don't discreet, you know, do you, you know, you just absorb it from your parents. Yes, you know? Right. Right. <clears throat> so I have to figure that out. And then I started having these panic attacks and I didn't know what they were. And it was, it was, they got really bad for a while. I, then the last uh, three years, the last three, four months that I was in uh, East Lansing as supposedly as a student, I, uh, uh, I was in my, my, uh, my apartment and I wouldn't leave. I was afraid to leave, you know, because of the panic attacks, you know? Yeah. Like agoraphobic, right. right, right. But I mean, this is, it's just the worst possible feeling that you can imagine, you know? Oh my gosh, yeah. It's hard to explain to people who haven't had them how right. well it feels. Well, and that was the other thing, I remembered it, and so that's perfect timing. So the other, uh -huh. the other thing was just notice. So those were the two powerful things that I learned, but the just notice part of it was not to sit in judgment of what was what was surfacing, like these emotions and what you talked about er earlier with, you know, teaching children, you know, and, and emotional um, intelligence is that I would just notice these scary sensations or just notice the anxiety or the panic symptoms or, you know, the racing heart, the racing thoughts and but mm -hmm. not sit in judgment and just say, okay, something's being triggered. I learned to just be so patient with myself. Right. Um, and that, right. Those, were the, those were the two most powerful lessons in four years of therapy. It wasn't wow. her giving me to-do lists or, you know, try this, do this. It was just me learning those, those things about myself. I didn't go to a therapist. I wouldn't go to, to a therapist because my mother had gone to therapists for so long and they had gotten her hooked on barbiturates oh. and 
they gave her over a hundred shock treatments. So they really her personality and ruined her ability to concentrate on more than one thing at a time. And her memory was just really, I mean, it just made things much, much worse, you know? Yeah. So I, I was really afraid of therapists and doctors. So, but I moved from, uh, I was about 21. I moved from uh, East Lansing where I was supposed to go to school to uh, Lake Tahoe in California where my sister lived. Uh, and I stayed with her for a few months and then she moved to Montana but I found, or she directed me to a place in the, the Tahoe Basin that was called the Force Center, which was a meditation center. Uh, and I learned a certain kind of meditation. I, I practiced that for three years. And I learned the things that you were talking about. You know, I learned about the breathing and learned about the uh, uh, thoughts, you know, just how my thoughts worked, how my emotions worked, you know. We had lots of little techniques, you know. Uh, one was, was we imagined ourselves as the body of glass. You know, when it sounds a lot like your experience of just watch, you know, because it was like, it's like you're completely uh, transparent and anything that comes at you from a different person, if it's hostile, if it's angry or whatever, snide or whatever, you don't have to react to it if you just look at it and be aware of it and just let it pass through you. Just let it go right through you like you were a body of glass. Uh, and it really, it really works. I, I was a waiter for years after that and practicing it and you can diffuse people really quick they're really hostile by just getting into that mindset you know and that was our technique to do it yeah i love that technique that's beautiful yeah yeah well there's lots lots of my study for three years and it really changed my life tremendously because right. well, I, I think a real I mess think, i think that's what's beautiful about our conversation right now is that in what people can maybe take away from it is that it's not so much you know, like there's one definitive answer, cure all. It's that, you know, I like to tell, when I worked with kids, it was filling their toolbox with uh -huh. you know, all of these coping skills and options. You know, we would do, we would watch YouTube videos and do kids yoga and we would try meditation and we would, you know, we would just, yeah. you know, artwork, you know, drawings a lot of times because they couldn't talk about it, but they could draw about things. And, um, there's so many different avenues for healing and you just have to find the one that works for you. And, and for them, you know, right. Not really about us. Like that's what we're talking about our own healing, but yeah, if you're working with them. Oh, bit. with kids. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. What, what works for them? What, you know, what's going to work for, what's going to work for one kid is not going to work for another. Yeah. Um, and, and I think it's like you said, but it, it's like, uh, okay, there's this 10,000 ways to express love. Okay. Uh, and you can choose any of them, what's best for that communication, for that relationship, for that circumstance, okay? But there is one thing. That's the one thing you got to communicate is, is love. Yeah. You communicate it, you just be it, you know? And it's because it's non-directional, it's non-specific. It just goes out. In, it's almost like a force field, like you mentioned earlier, you know? It's just a superpower or whatever. You just let it go. And it goes out. You can't be judgmental. As soon as you're in the judgmental mind, it's off. As soon as you're right. in the Mind is off, you know. Right. And, uh, one thing we haven't talked about at all is humor. You know, oh. humor is such a healing part of these relationships, you know, and so much can be taken, like the ego itself. You cannot fight the. Did you ever see a movie called The, the uh, 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 Devil's Advocate? No. Uh, with, uh, oh, it was so good. Uh, with, uh, um, oh, what's his name? I'm losing my mind. <laughs> That's why I got to get it out now, you know, read the books now because they won't be there tomorrow. You know? <laughs> uh, let's see. Uh, oh, gosh. Um, 
real good actors. Okay, but one was a was the devil. One was a, a oh. failure. Um, hold on. Keanu Reeves and uh, what's his name? Oh God, you know, in the and Dog Day Afternoon and Forever Serpico and what's his name? You know, it's not Al Pacino, is it? Yes. Yeah. Al Pacino. Yeah, I saw his face. Yes. Okay. I have seen the movie. Yes. Yeah. It was so good. But at the end, he has that uh, really long, the long explanation, you know, a long uh, speech, you know, and uh, he represents to me the ego. You know, and this guy kept the, this this uh, he kept capturing souls by their egos. This this guy who always always won his cases, so there was an ego there. You know, and so at the end he goes through all the whole movie. He decides to you know I'm going to divorce. I'm going to I'm going to even kill myself to get rid of my ego. You know, uh, and then suddenly he pops back to the beginning of the story, uh, and he has a chance to relive it all over again. And he just does something different, which was he 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 looks like he stands up and tells the truth to power basically uh and uh and then the next scene is they're going down as they're leaving the guy the newspaper man says oh i gotta write this up this is the best story ever you know and suddenly it all starts getting to be back in the ego thing okay he gets caught up right at the end again in the ego thing you know and i i just love that point in that story because it's like we can fight it you know uh, Buddha went and he starved himself and he went and indulged himself. He did everything to get rid of it and you cannot get rid of it. The ego. You can have momentary flashes of what it's like to live without the ego, but you can't. It's such an integral part of who we are and how we operate here. You know, you can't get rid of it. Right. By fighting it, by ignoring it. No, but the, one of the best ways to minimize it, because that's why it's ego light. You can't kill it, but you can minimize it. And it's with a sense of humor, you know, that sense of humor that, you know, sort of like you do with a kid, you know, you see a kid doing something silly, you don't get, you have to get angry, violent with them and destroy them or to ignore them, or you can just kind of laugh and say, right. and, you know, and as we do that to ourselves enough and we laugh at ourselves enough, it can be extremely healing, you know, because it suspends the ego. It minimizes the ego, you know? Yes. You know. Very much so. I know. Well, kids, a kid's laugh is is healing to my uh, soul. So, oh, yes. oh, oh, it's heaven. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Absolutely true. So, anything else that you want to share to the audience with the audience before we uh, close out? Are we all out of time, or we are? Okay. Uh, no, I just you know I just uh, hope to share. Um, I got very little you know, resources to do this with, so just want to get out there and connect with uh, people who are doing the same work. We're asking the same questions. How do we do this? How do we heal? And uh, what can we do? And uh, please uh, go to the website, check us out. We got good stuff there. And the books, obviously, are sort of my whole life, uh, professional life, trying to understand this. Uh, so, um, yeah, that's I guess. Okay. Well, thank you for being here today and sharing uh, your insights and the work you're doing, um, you know, shining that light of hope. I love it. I hope so. Okay. I mean, I hope I am shining the light of hope. Not right. That. Right. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, I'm going to do a quick little closeout. Everyone, thank you for joining us today. And until next time, remember, be gentle with yourselves. Thanks. Bye-bye.